Welcome to, de to today's Hendricks County Conversations with Rick Myers and Gus Piercy. Gus, how are you doing today? I am fantastic. That's great. That's great. This podcast is presented by Abstract and Title and Hendricks Power Cooperative, and our guest today is Indiana State Senator John Crane of Avon. John, how are you doing? I'm doing well. I couldn't be doing better with the, the weather being as great as it is. Yeah, it may not be that way when this airs, right? <laughs> That's true. But today, while we're taping, yeah. it is nice and sunny, so yeah. I will take it. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Well, it's great having you here, uh, John. We wanted to um, to have you on to kind of give us a we, – we know that this legislative session is, is nearing its end, but if we could kind of get your your read on some of the things that have happened with this session and – Maybe you might also kind of go into a little detail about maybe if there have been challenges with the pandemic and and how you guys have uh, and got guys and gals down there at the state house have uh, worked through all that. But uh, the floor is yours. Yeah, I tell you, you're exactly right, Rick. It has been a very unusual session, and uh, for those who uh, we have a couple of two or three. Uh, new members this is their first session they don't really have a frame of reference but for those of us who've been there for a while uh, there's some pretty substantial changes as you know just uh, physically with the, the layout of the building and the chambers and so forth uh, that's created some challenges um, not ones that were insurmountable but for example uh, with COVID and social distancing requirements and all that uh, one of the things that was a real challenge going into the session was would we even be able to meet in the chamber? Um, and with the House of Representatives, with uh, Representative Sturwald and Thompson, um, they haven't even been able to meet in the State House. They've been meeting across the, the street in one of the government buildings um, for their sessions. We've been able to meet in the Senate chamber, uh, but there's 20 of us that are seating, seated up in the gallery. So they've, cut, they've closed the gallery off to the public and then they put some makeshift desks together uh, with our you know, voting pads and, and a couple microphones up there if we need to speak on a bill and that kind of thing. It's, uh, it's unusual, it's, it's not ideal, but we've managed to make it work. And uh, the other big thing, especially for the first half of session that was very unusual, uh, for anybody that's ever come down and testified in a committee hearing over the years, you know that typically... Oh, the small rooms, yeah. Oh, yeah. They're and you'll, go, you'll go into the room, you'll have the members of the committee there, and then everybody kind of sits in the general seating Standing area. room only if it's a big That's building. right. And so then you just wait your turn and you come up and testify. Well, the first half of the session, they had it so that the members of the committee were in a particular room, and then anybody who was there to testify was in a different room and they just live streamed it in and we used technology to be able to do that. And uh, I would say after we worked out some of the technological kinks, it worked okay, but uh, that wasn't ideal either because you'd have some technological glitches from time to time or you couldn't hear somebody or something like that. But relative to what could be, um, as far as I know, we haven't on the Senate side, I uh, had any members that have had to quarantine because of COVID. And so our, our, our Senate leadership, our staff, they've just been very, very good and diligent about 
following those. But you're exactly right. Right out of the gate, it was just you knew going into it it was going to be a different session this year. Do you think it's going to go back to the way it was in 2019 or 2018? Well, <laughs> I mean, it sounds my like hope it's and prayer, go back My and hope go. and prayer is that it is. I would say um, I already sense, and, and there's been specific decisions that have already been made that indicate uh, the trajectory back to where we were. For example, uh, right after we came through the, the interim in the middle of session, uh, they made the decision to now have it so that the in the committee hearings, the members are in the room, and those that are going to testify are outside the door, and then they just come in one at a time. Oh, and yeah, so they're uh -huh. actually in the room. And you could you could see it on people's faces. Many people commented about the fact, boy, it's kind of nice to actually be talking to a live person. Yeah. The other thing, and this is I was just talking with some young friends of mine um, on Thursday about this. One of the things that they have not been able to do this year that I, I really regret is they had to do away with the PAGE program. So you have this PAGE program where if you're in 6th to 12th grade, you can come down, be a mm -hmm. PAGE for a day. Well, there's absolutely no way that they could do that right. and meet social distancing requirements. So they've had to suspend that. So truly, um, my hope is that we can get back to normal so that uh, we can do our business, get done what we need to get done, but also have... Uh, kids and other groups and other advocates come down into the state house and not feel like they can't come and and talk to their elected representatives. It, did uh, it seemed like there was a push uh, in this particular session to sort of react to the governor's reaction on COVID? And I was wondering how you felt because, like, I saw a bill yesterday. I didn't realize that there was some sort of a bill that had a mechanism to bring the legislature back without the governors uh, calling them back, which is the way it works now, right? The way right, it works is right. if you can't come to a special session unless the governor calls. Right, you. and and that, that became a real issue, right? Over 2020, um, you're stuck, and it doesn't matter what the issue is. Uh, you know, um, for as many people in the early goings where people would say, how dare the governor shut the place down, you know? Other people would say, how dare the governor try to open it back up? And so there we are in the There's middle no trying. Winning. No, there isn't, you know? Um, I... I was joking with a, uh, c a constituent of mine. Uh, she was a little older. She was from this area and uh, very concerned because she and her husband really hadn't come out of the house. They were very concerned about COVID. And, and a couple times they had to go out for doctor's appointments. And they were seeing people, you know, out and about. And it was like, this is terrible. You know, this is not good. And so I, she had a good sense of humor. I said, well, so you would kind of appreciate more of a martial law approach like <laughs> like tanks rolling down 36 she laughed she said well yeah that's about it <laughs> well so you have people that are like that and then you have other people that are like this is an infringement on liberty you know and, and we see the economic uh impact and so forth so um that martial law approach worked in china by the <laughs> right, way right right and i'm not sure that i really want that as the solution but the point being that on any number of issues, you've got people that are for it and people that are against it. And one of the things that I share with folks all the time in all the leadership training that I do is one of the first things that you have to get to to be an effective leader is to be able to take criticism and recognize that no matter what decision you make, somebody won't like it. And then you, you worry less about trying to please everybody, which is an impossibility, and more about trying to do what is right to the best of your understanding. And to your point, 
uh, there's been a big push. Over 2020, I've had a lot of constituents who are like, you guys need to tell the governor X, you know, or you need to, you need to, to make uh, a law and pass. And you always say, well, we can't. Like, we are out of session right now. And we are not in a position to be able to actually do anything that has any teeth. I could write a letter. I could have a meeting with the governor. But it really wouldn't have, it'd have a little bit more weight because I have a senator title. But it wouldn't have a whole lot more weight than the average right? constituent. And so then where it became a problem was that then we get into the session and people are thinking, okay, good, they're back in session. And during the session, then the governor extends an emergency order and people are going, I thought you said that when you got in session, you could solve this. So we've recognized that tension. What folks don't realize on the outside is that the legislative process is long and deliberate and moves very slowly. And so while we have a sense of urgency of trying to maybe course correct different things here and there, uh, the process does not lend itself to agility and speed. And so it's always, it's always creating this, this level of impatience, no you know, way. one that, that we sure. as senators and representatives also feel but you have to understand there's a pre-existing system. So that's a long way of saying that there have been multiple efforts to say, okay, uh, where have we seen some things that need to be corrected? And one of the things that I've shared with people is that I call COVID the great revealer, that um, when you have a massive catastrophe, like a pandemic or 9-11 or some massive thing, it tends to reveal the truth of a situation, maybe where you're strong or where you're weak and you didn't fully realize it. And so one of the things that COVID has revealed that I think is a very good thing is that it has awakened more and more people to the fact that they need to be paying attention to the affairs of their government. Because we just kind of go through life, we complain, we, you know, uh, moan about this and, you know, have all these conversations, uh, you know, over the dinner table or on social media or whatever. Uh, but a lot of people just kind of go through life and don't fully realize how far the tentacles of government really impact every aspect of your life until COVID and until some of these emergency yeah, orders. Until the governor said you can't exa go out. Exactly right. And then all of a sudden you're going, oh, wait a second, right? Can't go hey, what is this thing called the Constitution, right? And you start opening up this document that might have been collecting dust on your bookshelf. But uh, it was a pretty, I mean, COVID completely unpredictable absolutely do you uh, so i guess uh, and uh, this is not a opinion one way or the other but don't you think a one person i mean how could the legislative come in and say nope you can't do that emergency order how would that have helped the situation at all well so the thing that's been fascinating is uh, there's a there's a process what I call legislator time and what that the way I articulate that is that if you're on the outside of the legislative process and you're making let's say you run a business and you're making a multi-million dollar business decision you're going to spend a lot of time deliberating on that and weighing all the things and getting ROIs and all that uh, and uh, in the legislature you are you are making million dollars and sometimes billion dollar decisions but because there's so many things going on that time frame of deliberation is condensed sure which when I first got there was very concerning to me it still is to a degree right but on this 
issue of emergency orders, we have spent more time on this bill than any bill I have ever talked about in my entire time in the legislature because it's that important. And so people are weighing legitimate concerns on all sides of this issue. You're recognizing that there needs to be a stronger legislative voice in these things, but at the same time, you don't want to hogtie the executive so that they can't make kind of real-time decisions in a state of, of genuine emergency. My understanding from those who have been around uh, longer than I and who were here when we implemented uh, the emergency order option, it was right after 9-11, and again, COVID revealing, one of the assumptions at that time was that this wasn't the intent for how emergency orders were to be implemented. There was to be a more of a truncated short period of like time. three not, days. Right, or, or, or a yeah. week maybe or something. And then you call the legislature in and deal with larger issues. But to extend it over months and, and now a year, um, people are going, I don't know if that's really what it's supposed to be. So it's, it's created some really, really important conversations. Um, it's coming to a head here pretty soon in terms of what we're going to do, but it's been good in that respect in terms of good deliberation on important issues. You're listening to Hendricks County Conversations with Rick Myers and Gus Piercy, uh, presented by Abstract and Title and Hendricks Power Cooperative. Our guest today is uh, Indiana State Senator John Crane of Avon. John, um, what has been some of the uh, the issues that have popped up in this in this session that have been interesting for you to to work with? Well, uh, I think this emergency order one that we've been talking about has been really fascinating and and critical. Um, and I think at the end of the day, uh, my hope is that we'll we'll land. Uh, in an equitable place where it's mutually beneficial for all parties where, involved. Where is that bill? I mean, what what's the... So, j practically speaking on that, there were probably, I don't even know, there were probably 30, <laughs> at least 30 different bills that oh, had, okay. had to deal with some aspect of the emergency orders. Everything from making religious meetings essential, you know, because initially they were considered non-essential, uh, to business practices, to health concerns, and so forth. Okay. And so then you had a Senate bill that was kind of the catch-all and a House bill, 1123. And so 407 in the Senate, we passed out, and that was going to kind of be our, our vehicle bill. The House passed out 1123, and where we're at right now is they've kind of melded those two together, and it's riding on the vehicle of 1123. So what, so, would, you, what would you say, what is the mechanism to bring the legislature back by themselves without governor call? Well, so the Constitution right now does specifically say that the governor's the only one that can call so we'd have to a amend. special session. However... And this is where you're getting into some constitutional issues that we've debated. It doesn't say that the legislature can't call themselves back in. It says the governor can. It just doesn't say. And I said uh, it says that the governor only can. Um, that's a, I, I misstated that. But basically it says the governor can call the special session. It, it doesn't say that the, the legislature can't. So you're having some constitutional debate about that. So the That's fascinating, though, don't it, you think? Well, I mean, it is. I mean, for, a, for a history nerd like what me, it's like, like 1850 wow. is when that right. came out. Yeah, so, pretty so, cool. so you sit there and you think, wow, okay, so this system has been in place for that long. And, and, and uh, so then you face a new thing, a pandemic, and it's like, okay, how does our Constitution work within the modern 21st century? I think that's the beauty of our founding fathers, both at the federal level and at our state level, 
who had enough foresight to be able to put together a document to yeah. try to anticipate things that are you can't anticipate. It's unbelievable. But practically speaking, the idea wouldn't be to say, hey, the governor can no longer declare an emergency order. It would be if the, the, the governor declares an emergency order, if he then decides to extend it, there's a certain cutoff, I think it's 40 days or 45 days, then the uh, legislature the legislative council comes together and determines, hey, um, you know, oh, they, they kind of they they force force the issue there. Is that new? Legislative no, it's council? been there. It's it's we call it ledge council. They they deal with a variety of things, but they have representation of both the House and the Senate of the majority party, the minority party. So they're kind of a smaller group of uh, representatives within the legislature, mm -hmm. and so um, I would I would. Uh, I would say that there's progress being made. I'm hesitant to say exactly where it's going to land because I, I can't say for sure. There's some key things uh, that might happen. One of them is, um, you know, we pass this Bill 1123 and the governor decides to veto it. Yeah, and yeah, and right. then what? Right, exactly. So we've been talking about that. But to your point, Rick, um, you know, education is always a big issue. The budget is always a huge issue. We're in a budget year right now, and so we're um, looking at all the different variables there. Uh, the thing that's kind of affected the budget is that you're getting a lot of federal money as well through the CARES Acts and, and so forth. And so then it's like, okay, you know, how do we leverage that money if it's coming our way, if it's, a, if it's for a one-time purpose and you're setting it up for a recurring, uh, you know, need? then are you going to actually create a problem in the long run? So we have Senator Ryan Mishler, who is our appropriations chairman. He's a great, great guy and, and very uh, smart guy, and he's navigating all that, which I'm grateful for. Um, the other thing, too, that it, it's kind of, uh, it hasn't really been under the radar, but it's uh, one that didn't get as much attention. Uh, it's one that I uh, signed on to was a civics education bill. And uh, the idea there is to uh, require more intentional civics education starting at the middle school level. Um, I think it's fascinating because when we all, as members of the legislature, joke because we've all had the same thing happen where people will, you know, for example, I remember one time uh, that you remember when uh, they had the shooting in Washington, D.C. during the softball uh, practice mm -hmm. and Steve Scalise got shot and others. I had people in this area uh, who reached out to me and said, oh, I was praying for you. I was so glad you weren't hurt because mm -hmm. they assume I'm right. out in Washington, sure. D.C., right? Yeah. So we all have those kind of little anecdotal stories. But then on a more serious note, uh, we just don't fully understand our government. We don't understand the system of government. Uh, we were kind of joking in the committee quietly about the fact that even the experts that came in to testify on the importance of the civic education bill, often referred to America as a democracy instead of a republic. Right. <laughs> so mm -hmm. like, well, I guess we do need some civics education, right? Right. right. So there's been a number of things that uh, we've been doing, and uh, you know, it, it's always fascinating. You start this year, we have over a thousand bills that were filed, which that's another. That's whole, a lot. That's another whole story, right? It seemed like it seemed like all oh, you guys were stuck in your houses, and you guys got angry and wanted to. <laughs> well, so you wanted to change. So here's yeah. the thing. Ironically, that's the low end of a typical year. Oh, it is. I didn't yeah. know that. So we we'll, uh, we will have upwards of sometimes, you know, fourteen hundred, fifteen hundred bills that are filed. Now that wow. doesn't mean that everything gets a hearing, but just the sheer volume of legislation that that's 
to me can get nauseating. Um, so we have been uh, trying to take some steps to kind of limit the number of bills that members can file just so you can manage it uh, all. Okay. But, you know, this year we had 1,025 bills that were yeah, officially filed I, in the I House saw, and the Senate. So up on them. within the midst of all that, then you, a bunch of them died, but you still have hundreds of bills. And even in the second half of session, we're dealing with hundreds of bills that um, address all kinds of things. One, one of the other ones that I would say, Rick, that uh, I would be remiss to um, overlook is Senator Sturwald's Bill uh, 1006. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a great bill. Not only a great bill, it's an important bill, and especially against the backdrop of the cultural moment that we find ourselves in yep. with uh, law enforcement who's feeling discouraged about so many things and kind of how they're viewed. Uh, folks in the minority communities and the Black Lives Matter movement are trying to let their voice be heard. And it, it had the recipe for being uh, potentially disastrous, mm -hmm. frankly. It could have been really, really bad. And here's the thing. Uh, we just passed that out of the Senate. It, it started in the House with Rep. Sturwald, passed it out of the Senate, and they're getting ready to sign it into law. And as far as I know, I'd have to go back and double check, but I don't think there was a single no vote in committee on either side and in the full chambers on either side. Yeah. And I, I texted uh, Representative Sturwald as soon as the vote came through. And I told him, I said, we just passed this unanimously. And you had uh, members across the aisle who were saying this is good, good stuff. And I said, you really ought to use this as a case study for how to get controversial legislation put together, get a good coalition put together, and move it through the process. Because truly, he did a phenomenal job on that. And uh, it just takes a lot of, of preliminary work, getting all the key players around the table, giving everybody a chance to weigh in, add their voice to the conversation, recognizing that in the normal course of negotiations, as with any negotiation, Nobody's going to get everything they want, you know, but can we focus on, on the things that truly matter? Well, thank you for funding it. Yes. Yeah, that, that's at a very important point is yeah. that you gave the money that can actually get it done. Yeah, yeah, and I think that reflects the fact that uh, people in the legislature recognize the importance of what we're trying to do there. Hey, hey John, I, I want to go back to the, uh, the civics thing because this is something that's very close to me. I... I in watching things on a national level and seeing how different states are looking at at providing that kind of education, it's it's, it's quite concerning to me. Uh -huh. um, and I can remember I, I had a, a friend. I think this was he, several years older than me. I mean, there was a there was a textbook that uh, uh, I think that used to be a standard textbook in the state of Indiana. It says how to be a good citizen. Mm -hmm. And um, so, could you drill down into what? The different, you know, what 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 the civics deal would look like. Yeah, so uh, it's not new. It actually is leveraging an existing program called We the People, and I actually have um, we have four kids, and so uh, two of my four have either been in it or are currently in it. And I'll tell you, I got to be honest, uh, the the level of rigor for this We the People program would put most adults to shame. I mean, it's tough. And I've, <laughs> my eighth grader right now is in the middle of it. And so it's, a, it's, a, uh, it's kind of designed as a contest as well. So you, you're learning all these things, but you're part of this we, we the People program, which is a national program. So you're competing against other middle school students, or they have a high school version. 
learning about the Constitution. So my eighth grader right now had to write up a paper for a presentation with his little team on immigration. <laughs> I mean, I'm not, and I'm talking like we're yeah. having the full-blown conversation about what's happening at the border, why it matters, what are all the competing variables. And so when my uh, other son, Andrew, had been involved, he's now a sophomore, but when he was involved, uh, they also then went out to Washington, D.C. Oh, wow. And so you have to, you come together as a team, you're learning, you know, maybe it's about immigration, maybe it's about federalism, maybe it's about, you know, different aspects of, of our system of government. And then you actually have to defend your answers in front of a panel of experts. Huh. And I mean, you're talking about doctors and professors and sitting, you know, federal judges who are... <laughs> They're not grilling them in a bad way, but they're grilling them, these middle school students, in a way that can get pretty intimidating. I mean, you're, I remember sitting there and listening to a professor at Georgetown University, you know, asking questions of these eighth graders. And the eighth graders, you know, did a good job. They yeah. might have done better than I do. Right. You know, I don't know. Mm -hmm. So... Um, you have teachers then are, that are teaching these things. Not, not every child needs to be in We the People, but there's a set curriculum that really covers the gamut in terms of three branches of government. And the idea with the middle school emphasis in this particular bill is to start that process sooner. Because mm -hmm. you're exactly right, Rick. It's gotten to a point where we used to take civics seriously. Then it went from a year to a semester. And then, you know, you divide that between government and econ, you know, and all that. So we, we've gotten away from that. And why that matters, and I think we've had this conversation before, Rick, is um, there's an essay that I often reference from Dr. Benjamin Rush, who is one of our founding fathers, and uh, it's called Thoughts Upon the Mode of Education Proper in the Republic, written in 1786. It was his thesis for how do we, as the founding fathers, ensure that the experiment of the American Republic survives long term? Well, we have to train up the next generation in understanding what are the things that make America unique? What are the American values that are going to sustain this, this experiment? And so he outlines that whole thing, and, and the emphasis was making sure that we help people understand. This, this, this thing was virtually unprecedented. You're talking about an experiment in self-government. And as we know, if you cannot govern yourself from within, you will be governed from without which is why we have law, which is why we have law enforcement and so forth. And the founders understood this. Hmm. And yet we have gotten away from it. We have gotten away from the fundamental idea that, that Benjamin Rush famously talked to uh, Mrs. Powell when he came out of the Constitutional Convention, and she says, well, what have you given us, you know, a monarch or a republic? And he famously says, a republic, if you can keep it. Mm -hmm. Well, that phrase right there assumes an actively engaged citizenry. Mm. And we have mm -hmm. dropped the ball. Mm -hmm. Let's be honest. We have dropped yeah, the ball. Yeah. But circling this all the way back around, that is where you see a silver lining in my mind with what has happened with COVID and the subsequent decisions that are being made at the state and federal level where people are beginning to wake up and go, wait, wait a second. I better learn a little bit more about yeah. this and figure yeah. out what's what, you know? Yeah. And I think that's been a good thing, but you're right, Rick. We, we've got a ways to go. It's been a little bit of a monarch, right? It's yeah. been a little bit of a it monarchy. Has. It has. Part, which, yeah, not, I'm not saying good or bad. I'm just right. saying it has been. That's right. And how, so how was the Senate's, I'm sorry, how was the Senate's 
split up as far as in the public you see half the people wearing masks and half of the people not wearing masks and how is the senate or the uh i'm sorry the entire legislature sort of split up that way as far as it was it about half and half like the population well so so here's the thing i think there's a lot of people that have strong views about the masks and some of these other restrictions i have some strong views about sure, it. sure i'm i'm not but saying think, about that but, but taking it serious well and 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 that's my point um I have my own preferences, but I, I think it's important for every one of us to uh, figure out which hill you want to really die on, right? <laughs> like, I, I feel strongly about the yeah. masks. I prefer yeah. that we don't wear them, but that's not a hill I'm willing to die on. So if, if uh, somebody would prefer me to wear a mask, then I'll wear it for their sake uh, and sacrifice my own preference. At the State House, they've been pretty vigilant about asking us to wear masks. You know, I think there's... There's a number of people that would prefer not to, but I would say on the whole, uh, all the members across the spectrum have abided by that, you know, and tried to, to be sensitive to uh, social distancing and, and set aside some of those strong feelings in the moment. Now, that doesn't mean we haven't had a lot of hard conversations about those kinds of things, even in the caucus meetings, but um, I think generally people are trying to be a team player so that we can focus on the real issues. Because what it ends up being is, oh, so-and-so didn't wear a mask. And then that becomes the issue instead right. of, like, what were we actually trying to debate here that Absolutely. I think is going to carry a lot more weight. That's right. That's right. You're listening to Hendricks County Conversations with Rick Myers and Gus Piercy, presented by Abstract and Title and Hendricks Power Cooperative. Our guest today is uh, Indiana State Senator John Crane of Avon. John, as we wrap this up, we like to... Um, to, to uh, give you the last uh, the last word here in what we call open mic. So if there's anything that we've not touched on that you'd like to uh, to touch on, now's the time. Yeah, I appreciate that. It's it's such a privilege to be able to spend uh, a little bit of time with you all, if for no other reason than to finally come out of the cave and see other people. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I will say, um, these have been difficult times. They really have for a lot of people. And uh, it's easy to let our passions and our emotions get the best of us sometimes. And uh, we create, I think, too many times, not just on this, but on any number of issues, the uh, us versus them or the we versus they. Um, and, of course, we are always right and they are always wrong and we are always smart and they are always dumb, you know, whatever the variable is. And... Uh, I had the opportunity yesterday to uh, speak to a group of leaders in Indianapolis about civility in the age of the cancel culture. And the premise of the entire thing is I think that um, we have to get back to recognizing our humanity and that which brings us together and the things that we can focus on together because I, I firmly believe there's more that actually unites us as people. It's the e pluribus unum, you know, that unites us to where we should all be able to get along. It doesn't mean we're not gonna, we're gonna agree all the time, right? I don't agree with my wife all the time and she certainly doesn't agree with me. But we should be able to get along and we should be able to work on trying to solve the problems that we all face together. And of course, that's what we're trying to do in the legislature, but I think it's simply an extension of the mission that we should be on 
in our communities and trying to figure out how to do that. And and I truly feel blessed to live in Hendricks County. I talk about this all the time. Uh, many of you have probably heard me talk about the fact that we live in a great county where when we see problems, we all step up and try to solve them. And, and uh, certainly we're up against the backdrop of ongoing issues. And so we continue to move forward together. And so I appreciate the privilege to be able to be with you all today. And I look forward to coming back sometime soon. Absolutely, John. Uh, thanks for all you do for, for the community and the state. and. Uh, We'll certainly have you back on. Well, thank you very much. Thank I you, appreciate Senator. it.